from AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Here's your host, Chip Lutz. Here we are. It's time for Laugh Box, my favorite time of the week, and perhaps yours too. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I've got two podcasts. I've got this one that we do for ATH. I've got my own that's called Leadership Happy Hour. And once in a while, I get to talk to a guest that traverses both communities. And that's this guest this week, uh, Daphne Scott, where we talk about mindful leadership. We've had a lot of people on the show with talk about mindfulness, applications and such, but nothing really that kind of fits how to be a mindful leader. I learned a lot from our conversation about how to take mindfulness and put it into play to be a better leader, uh, be a better person. I know you're going to get a lot from our conversation, um, so get a pad and paper, pencil, something to write with, because um, you're going to want to take notes. So, enjoy. Hello, friends, and welcome to Leadership Happy Hour. This is Chip Lutz, the unconventional leader. And today, today is another great day. And you know, I, on this show, I get to talk to super cool people, and today is no exception. I get to talk to Daphne Scott. She is a leadership coach. She is a, an expert in mindful leadership, which is going to be kind of our topic today, which I'm really stoked about. So welcome, Daphne, to Leadership Happy Hour. Big cheers to you, my friend. Yeah, uh, Chip, thanks so much for having me on the show. I was really excited to be with you today. And um, I just love the uh, unconventional leader that you are. And uh, I'm really excited to be on the show today. So thanks for having me. Oh, stop it. You had me at hello. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do what I can. You know, if I'm being completely honest, what really got me, you know, and another reason I was excited to be on your show today, besides your dynamic personality, is the libations part of your show. So I... <laughs> Well, most people don't realize that, you know, that uh, the way I came up with the concept of the show is I love on Comedy Central, I love the show Drunk History. And yes. one day I was sitting around thinking, you know what, I, I really would like a show where I could drink and I could just talk about leadership with people. That would be like, that would be the oh, perfect, that would be the perfect storm for me. And cool. so, uh, and there, the birth of Leadership Happy Hour. There it is. Well, I like it. So Ta -da. So happy so, to be here. Well, if for my listeners, if you give them like the 411 on who Daphne, which I, I don't really know that many Daphne's awesome name, by the way. So Thank you. who Daphne really is. Well, what you should know is that it's the name Daphne, the most imp highest in popularity it's ever gotten was 465th. And I believe that was in 1963. <laughs> so it's not a very, you know, I, I've stuck with it. I lived with it. You know, it seems to have worked out okay. Um, so, that, <laughs> so that's a little bit about my name. Now about me, so I am a, a leadership coach. I, I really specialize in, you know, creating mindful teams and mindful leaders. I like to say that's all that I do. And uh, work with teams and organizations. Primarily I work with um, wide-scale integrations, really working on culture integrations and mindful leadership with teams um, throughout the organization. So that's mm -hmm. really where I spend my time and what I get to do. Uh, and I'm blessed to do it um, and grateful that I get to do it. So that's awesome. my work in the world, Chip. That's, that's it right there. Now, and I want to talk about mindful leadership because I'm, I'm familiar with the, the whole 
mindfulness concepts, um, but I don't know how it really, it applies with leadership and teams. And I want to talk about that because it's fascinating. It's a fascinating concept to me. Before yeah. we get into that, I would love to just like get our conversational juices flowing by just asking you kind of a random question. Okay. So Daphne, what is your jam when you really need to motivate yourself, right? What is your go-to music? Is it like quiet, riot? Come on, feel the noise. <laughs> is it Bruce Springsteen born in the USA. What is your go-to jam that just really gets Daphne like, woo, let's rock on. Yeah. What is that jam? Okay, Chip, my Midwest roots are showing now because my all-time favorite band is Rush. <laughs> So you just <laughs> you just need to know that <laughs> going in. Mm -hmm. um, they now there's a little bit of a connection there. I I back and I still do play, but um, I am a percussionist, a drummer. So I think when you play the drums, you really you really can't play the drums and not fall in love with Neil Peart, who is the drummer for Rush. Um, so you know there's there's definitely an affinity there. And in terms of the song, what song by Rush for sure? Limelight uh, is in my top ten of their songs, uh, followed by 2112. So there you go. You had there you to go. Ask. That's, that's it. That's I your jam. Well, everybody's got the jam that they go to the one that just yeah. like, well, yeah, let's, let's, let's parte. Yeah. Let's do this stuff. Right. So, yes, for and, sure. you know, it might vary on the mood that you're in or what kind of mood you're going for. It does. Everybody, yeah, it does. Every, like when I used to do mail outs, when I was in recruiting and yeah. I, in the Navy and I did do mail outs, it was like the whole born in the USA album. I would, <laughs> I would throw that in. I would do like a thousand mail outs and the whole time I would be like, yeah, do it, Bruce. You got it. You know, you know, <laughs> you can do this. That's right. Almost died from licking envelopes. The, the poison on there. Like, uh, like George <laughs> Born in the USA playing in the background. <laughs> exactly. <That's> classic. classic <laughs> glory, glory days turned into gory days. Um, yeah. So that's my jam. That's my, I mean, that's my band, but you know, I, I have a lot of different musical interests and music that I appreciate. That's, that's awesome. That's now, yeah. did you drum in high school too, or were you like a I percussion? Did. All right. I did from the time I was in fifth grade. Um, nice. Yeah. And I still play music and me and my brother still play. My brother's a guitarist. And so we still play and we do a little 4th of July jam for my family uh, every year. And you know, that, that's the one gig we play here. <laughs> Man, I want an invite. I want an invite to that. That would be well, awesome. I love okay. live, I love live music. So I'll bring my string bass and we can just, you know, we can just get there you go. We can get it going on. There we go. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. I couldn't be in the uh I couldn't be in the marching band with the string bass. It just doesn't it, it doesn't carry well. No, it's hard to drag around, but it, it is really amazing. Is. It's an yeah. amazing and I, I had my, in high school, I had a 1974 Gremlin. That was my car. And I could fit my string bass in my Gremlin, but it took some maneuvering. Um, I'm just <laughs> it saying. Like a lot of maneuvering. Yeah. I had to put the front seat down, take it in the back, put the neck. You know, anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. So let's talk about mindful leadership. Let's, let's, let's talk about that. I so, like yeah, well, let's just, let's start here. I mean, you know, so it, as a concept, we'll start there with like the whole, uh, the concept of mindful leadership and then we'll get, yeah. you know, we can talk a little bit how you got into it and then, you know, how we, how we apply that into our leadership lives. So let's start there. Yeah. Well, so I'll, I'll talk to how I got into it. Okay. Great question. Um, you know, there's, there's two parts of leadership that I think are, when I work with leaders and I work with teams and organizations that are, you know, they'll make this distinction between leading and managing. And you've probably heard a lot of that. And really, what I started to look at is what are the transactional skills that leaders need to have? I mean, this is a, this is a, 
important, you know, how do I delegate effectively? How do I, um, you know, organize myself, right? How do I keep track of all the tasks and the projects? And there's sort of this real world part of that that can live in the transactional sort of this, you know, the what are we doing and the who's doing it and the how are we doing it and those sorts of parts of our, our lives which all leaders need, all managers need to have those skills. And then there's this other part that lives sort of the way that I like to think about it in the trans transformational bucket. You know, um, what is this part of, of me as a leader and even as a manager that knows that I'm dealing with the hopes, dreams, and aspirations of other people, right? As yeah. I'm making decisions, right? So how, and leaders are faced with decisions, they have decision rights over several, a couple of key things in organizations. One is who gets on the bus and who gets off. They usually have hiring and firing decisions, right? Yeah. Um, they have decisions about how people use two of our most invaluable resources, time and money. So if I'm a leader, even though I might know how I might have the skills of delegation and I might have the skills of maybe I'm a great, you know, interviewer, I can do great interviews, that sort of thing. It's one thing to have that. The other then in the trans transformational bucket is to know where I'm making decisions from. Mm-hmm. So am I making decisions from a place of fear or am I making decisions from a place of trust? Um, am I making decisions with my greatest intention and motivation being to maintain my security, my control, my approval, or am I making decisions from a place that are creating win for all solutions and getting leaders to pay attention to that, you know, how they're actually, and really what that is, is pointing to the context, how they're relating to all the things that come into their lives and the decisions that they need to make is a whole nother part of the practice. And that's where mindfully. That seems to... <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, how was that? <laughs> that was a, that was a lot, but I, I, what what resonated with me was you know some of the 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 transactional versus transformational uh, you know concept that yeah. you know, that you're making the decisions from uh, diff- differing points of view. Mm-hmm. That um, and in in my in my own leadership life, um, I always always like to think that I've taken you know a bigger picture approach. Um, sure. but in retrospect, you know, the, the question always remains, you know, did I really, you know, was, was I, was it really about the team or was it really about, you know, me and, you know, moving this, you know, this one transaction forward? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there, there's been, you know, several books written about this type of thing and, you know, talk, you, you went to the word ego, you know, bringing the ego into it and, and, um, how do we, how do we work with that? And, you know, that at the root that's really what this, what, what it's pointing to and how we're relating to things. And it's really easy to say, you know, check your ego at the door, you know, um, <laughs> easier said than done. And so we start making this distinction then between, you know, practices and mindfulness and why we might want to incorporate them into our daily lives and then making a distinction between mindfulness and meditation. So, you know, what it is to have a meditation practice then, which is a different thing than just mindfulness, you know. All right. Well, okay. So let's talk about that, you know, the whole mindfulness yeah. piece. Because, you know, I uh, I have another podcast called Laugh Box. And, uh, you know, I, yeah. do for, I do for an association. And, you know, I had a, a mindfulness expert on there, Nick Mosca. He was a professor uh-huh. at Harvard. And we talked a lot about mindfulness. And, you know, you know, and I think sometimes mindfulness gets this rap of where you got to burn incense and, and right. stuff. And, and he was really, <laughs> he was really cool about the whole thing. He's like, you know, Sometimes mindfulness is good, can be as simple as just taking a moment to, you know, like we were talking about our favorite jam, right? You know, yeah. you know taking yeah. a moment and listening to a, you know, a certain, you know, uh, a certain line, you know, within the music that yeah. instead of listening to the whole thing and getting wrapped up there, just like concentrating on that one piece in there and letting your mind just focus in on that. 
Yes. And I, you know, my favorite definition um, of just mindfulness in general, and I think what you're pointing to, Chip, is, is making that distinction between mindfulness and formal meditation. You know, I think when we think of meditation, meditation is a, is a way of training the attention. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a way of, you know, working with our attention and, and getting in touch with those deeper parts of ourselves, which could live under the umbrella of mindfulness. But there are many mindfulness practices, one of which you just mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. So mindfulness, my favorite definition of that comes from John Kabat-Zinn. And he says, you know, m- mindfulness is paying attention on purpose in a particular way um, without judgment, you know, paraphrasing some of his definition. And I really like that. That's really what he's pointing to is, you know, it's, it's a way of paying attention. We're intentional about it about how we're, we're playing our, paying our, uh, putting our attention and then we're doing it in a way without judgment, which is the toughest part for everyone. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's where we have an experience and we judge the experience. It should be different. It shouldn't be going the way that it's going, you know, and as soon as we do that, we constrict and, and now we're right back where you were just talking about making decisions from a, from a different place without taking the whole picture into consideration, you know? Right. I'm super judgy. Yeah. yeah I'm, ju- I'm super judgy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a thing for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just being honest. I'm super judgy. I mean, I don't mean to be just, you know, I'm walking down, I'm in the airport and I look at people. And I'm like, oh man. They yeah. certainly don't have the same kind of mirror I have because if they had the same mirror I had, they wouldn't be wearing what they're wearing today. Right, exactly. And you know, it's like when I when I hear people, when I hear people say like <laughs> I love to go to the mall and people watch, and I'm like, yeah, me too. And then I'm like, oh man, I just know that I'm the person that inspired another person to say I just love to go to the mall and people watch. You know? <laughs> No, I'm that. Per- At some point, I know I've been that person. That's so, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I've been that person that people love to watch at the mall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's beautiful. Exactly. That is beautiful. Now I think that. All right. So leaders yeah. live like really busy lives. I mean, yes. I don't think it's ever been more so than today because yeah. we have so many. I mean, I remember you know 20 years ago, you could actually go on vacation. I mean, you weren't in, you didn't have a cell phone. You didn't have email. Well, you had, maybe you had email, but you didn't. I remember the first time I had email was 1996. That's, you know, 21 years, 22 years ago, <laughs> you know, and, but you got like two a day, right? I mean, it wasn't yeah. that big a deal. It was, it, you had email. It was like, oh, you know, somebody would send you some stupid joke. It wasn't like it is today. And that you could actually be separated from work. But now a work is such a part of everything and you can't really pull away from it that I would think that just the whole mindfulness part would be very, very hard for most leaders today. Well, you're pointing to something that I think is um, pretty uh, rampant and typical in our culture, you know, our culture that really values ambition and um, um, getting ahead and moving forward. Um, and what I like to say to leaders, you know, so let's talk about busyness. I, I like to think of it this way. Busyness and boredom essentially are two sides of the same coin mm-hmm. that there's, there can be a very unconscious part of us that wants to keep ourselves busy. Um, we don't like to sit still for very long. Typically, leaders that I work with, they have this sort of, um, and this is where mindfulness actually becomes very, can become very helpful. Um, they have this part of them that really is compulsive about moving and keeping themselves busy. So what they get to avoid is the experience of what they would classify as boredom. <laughs> or worse, what they get to avoid is actually their feeling of anxiousness and restlessness. It's pretty uncomfortable for most of us um, to be a little, have that feeling of restlessness. So the easiest way to deal with that is just to keep moving and not to take pause and, mm-hmm. and, not, to re- and not to rest and not to renew ourselves. And so we end up in this, we end up really in this loop right, of just feeling like we can't, telling ourselves 
that we can't take time off, telling ourselves that we can't take vacation, telling ourselves that we can't unplug for a day, that we can't put the phone down. Um, and it, if we really look closely at it, what we find that it, what we find is, you know, and, and don't take my word for it, just check out your own experience. But what we find is, you know, it's it's a way that we relate to the idea of time mm -hmm. that we won't have enough. And so this is really what I'm pointing to, or, 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 or help us if we have too much, you know, we have to face our boredom. So, um, and this is really what I'm talking about, you know, when we talk about mindfulness is it's really taking a look at how we're relating to our work, how we're relating to the stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm just as guilty as the next person of having a task list that looks like it's, you know, hundred miles long. Right. Um, and how I relate to that is what really matters. You know, if I start having a belief that I can't step away from it or telling myself that if I, if I'm not involved in everything, the world will fall apart, you know, right. um, that I won't have enough time. And typically, you know, there are just a few things that people, especially leaders in organizations consistently complain about, which is I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough people on my team. And so what you start to hear is this real energy of not enough. Right right? There's not enough. There's not enough. And if you start to look at that closely, what you see is it's just really a way that there's, we're starting to relate to things in our life from a place of not enough versus seeing that we actually have all the time in the world that we need. So are you like, uh, okay, so I just want to make sure I'm understanding. So, <laughs> well, and, and you know, seriously, so are, are you saying that we need to shift our mindset to like, and I don't want to sound all like the secret, but shifting our mindset yeah. to more of like one of abundance where you have to shift our mindset a little bit and relate to things like, you know, I do have enough time. I just have to look at this differently. You know, is that what you're, you're saying? Sort of, yes. So on one side, I am saying that. And on the other side, and I think I love what you just said about, you know, let's not get too high-minded here, right? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> let's be practical. I'm a, I'm a pretty practical person, right? At the same right. time. So at the same time, you know, the, and that's where this trans, transactional part of this comes in, because at the same time, there are skills that people need to use. I'll give you an example. I love to ask leaders if they make lists. And almost every leader I work with is like, absolutely. Like they figured out enough that like, you, you can't keep everything in your head. You know, right. you gotta write things down. And then I ask them how many lists they have. <laughs> and typically they have three or four, do have right? The, do you have the list of stuff that you've already done that you put on your new list? So you can so you can cross it off and make yourself feel feel, 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 you feel better about, about things, you know? Exactly. exactly. Right. I have, I have that list. Yeah, exactly. Almost every leader and they're like, Yeah, I have five lists, right? And none of them are organized anyway. And then I have them do something with their list where I have them look at it and I have them start making a distinction with the things that they wrote down between what things are a project and what things are actually a task. Mm -hmm. And a project is anything that requires more than one step. So typically okay. what they have on their list are a bunch of projects. And so every time their mind looks at that thing on their list, it's, it's, your mind knows like, oh my gosh, this is going to take me three hours to get this done. Right. Right. So what's it do? It goes to the next thing on the list. And what it's, what it's looking for is just the one thing that it can get done. Right. Like the one task. Right. So I mean, that doesn't, that's pretty transactional in a sense that it's not, it's a skill. It's something that has to be learned over time. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it supports the transformational part. So yeah, I'm a big fan of, I am absolutely a fan of mindset. I'm absolutely a fan of looking at what's, what's really happening, paying attention to how we're relating to things at the same time. I know there are actual learnable skills that leaders can learn that help that. So I, it's both. 
All right. And I want to get into those, you know, some of those, those things that people can learn. Um, yeah, sure. And I want to see how that kind of relates to, because when I was going through, you know, all your stuff, what I really, something that really resonated with me was the concept of uh, work-life integration work versus work-life balance. Because yeah. you know, I, 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 I'm a firm believer that balance is bullshit. In that, <laughs> I do. Because, you know, if I'm saying I'm balancing, that means I'm borrowing from Peter to pay Paul, which usually pisses Peter off. <laughs> it does. I mean, it does. You know, I mean, you know, like, you know, if I'm like, look, it's like, I got all this stuff, you know, I got to like take away from my home to like, you know, uh, uh, do stuff at work. Well, that's going to make yeah. home mad. And if I'm like, oh, I've got to, I've got to do all this stuff with my kids and I can't do the stuff at work. Well, then, you know, work's going to suffer. And I really like the thought process of, you know, how do we integrate things and how do we make it so, um, we're not constantly stressed off and we're not, you know, feeling like we're torn between two lovers. Yes. Yeah. Well, okay, great. So I'm glad you brought this up on the, yeah, I, I, tr I too have a, an issue with the idea, the concept. So like balance um, for a couple of, one reason you just mentioned, you know, if we're balanced, it means we're static, you know, we're not moving sort of thing. Mm -hmm. You can't, you know, right. Um, and it's just a false dichotomy. Um, you know, so I'm alive. And then when I'm not, I'm at work, which means I'm dead. I don't, <laughs> it's just, you know, all of it is our life. Right. So, right. It's a role. So my, my role at work, uh, Daphne leadership coach, you know, that's one, one of many roles, by the way, mm -hmm. um, that I play in life, you know, so oh, that's honest. not your, that's not your only one. It's not the only one it turns out, Chip. It's not. Um, it's one. <laughs> but you would think, right? To hear people talk about it. It's like the only, when we talk about leadership, you're like, okay, it's the only role this person has in their life. That's all. This is all I do. All yeah, I'm, this is it. I'm seriously just, I, I record podcasts all day long. This is all I do. Yeah, this is it. Your whole this, life. Um, <laughs> it's the only thing you do. So in my experience, when people talk about work-life balance, what they're pointing to is they want to have the experience of their mind and their body being in the same place at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that when they're at home, they're at home, they're present with their family, they're present with their friends, the people that are important to them. Um, most of the people I work with, the leaders that I work with are, they want to be successful, they love their work. And so therefore also when they're at work, they want to be at work, they want to be thinking about work. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. what happens is not that. <laughs> so to your point earlier, when they're at home, you know, they're working, they're thinking about work, they're, they're consumed with what's going on at work. And even when they're at work, then they have to deal with things that they didn't get handled at home, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes. So really the, what I find is what's more true for people is they really just, they want this experience of what's it like for me to have my mind and my body in the same place at the same time. Mm -hmm. And, and what does that feel like? And if I'm going to choose to work when I'm not at the office, knowing that it's a choice, not a have to, not a should. Um, not sort of that place that we were talking about where, you know, I feel like this is, I'm doing this out of fear and from anxiety and trying to control things or trying to, you know, maintain approval um, for as, as some examples. So I like integration. I say marry it all, <laughs> marry your work, marry your life, marry, you know, bring it all into relationship so that you have a healthy relationship with all of them. And I, I talk about, you know, really these five relationships that leaders need to have versus with the self. Mm -hmm. Having a healthy relationship with yourself, healthy relationship with money, healthy relationship with time, uh, healthy relationship with friendships, which I find friendships the most um, interesting of all the relationships we have. And, um, you know, your relationship with everything. So uh, that's really how I look at this integration of, of work and life. It's so all life. 
Uh, how do you, so, and that sounds great in concept, but how do you put it into practice? Because, you know, yeah. if you're looking at being where you're at and not having your mind someplace else, that can be hard. Like looking back on yeah. my life, I mean, I think about like, I have four kids, they're all grown now. Okay. And it wasn't until later on in life, um, the the song Cats in the Cradle really started to mean something to me. Oh, I bet. Because um, <laughs> you know, I, I remember like my fourth, my, my youngest son, I mean, that's when I was like, I, 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 things really started to resonate. You know, I was like, hey, you want to go do this? And he's like, I got to do this. I'm like, cats in the cradle, bitch. Cats in the cradle. You need to do this. You're going to make time for me, damn it. You're going to make some time. <laughs> yeah, but I was like, and so, um, so yeah. uh, looking back, you know, there are things that I, yeah. I wish that um, I had been where I was at, um, but I was always like, oh, well, I've got all this other stuff. I got, I got to get this here. And my boss is doing this. I've got, you know, I've got this, I'm consumed by this. And then when I was at work, I was like, oh, well, the kid's got this coming up. I really should have done this. And it's, you know, how do you, how do you be where you're at? Yeah. I mean, it's it, it, very valid. Excellent question. How do we put this into practice, right? What's the practical application? And I do think, I think first, the first place is really, and this is where self-compassion comes in. Um, I think the first part is to look at, you know, some of, some of what's hap what happens for us, you know, our common humanity. Um, we all go through this. None of us are immune, <laughs> right, mm -hmm. to having to manage these things, manage our life. And then, you know, looking at, in the mindfulness part of it comes in later, but then looking at, you know, how do we give ourselves a break sometimes? We're not going to do it perfectly. Right. Um, I am sure, you know, you said you had four kids. I am sure you look back and there were certain events that you're like, dang it, you know? And um, it was really funny to give perspective. I heard uh, Julie Louis-Dreyfus just won the Mark Twain Award for comedy. And she was talking about being a working mom, you know, in theater and in uh, uh, comedy. And she said, you know, you worry like you're going to screw your kids up because you weren't around and, you know, you took too much time away. And then you win the Mark Twain Prize and it's totally worth it. <laughs> <laughs> It'll pay for the therapy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I do think it's these moment by moment decisions that we, and this is where mindfulness comes into the whole thing. It is sometimes these moment by moment decisions that we're making. Mm -hmm. um, it isn't an all or nothing thing to your point about being balanced. It isn't. Um, and so how aware we are. And again, I think when we really are practicing the mindfulness part of this, recognizing always that we are at choice. We are always at choice. And so often we tell ourselves that we aren't, you know, and that's where this, we have, you know, I have to do this, or I have to be at this meeting, or I have to go on this business trip, or I have to, and not looking at, wow, I actually can make some choices here. If I'm actually, am I, if I'm going to go on the business trip, knowing that I'm choosing that for a very specific reason mm -hmm. and being good with that within ourselves and talking to our kids or significant other or families about that in a way that makes a lot of sense to them you know, that it is something that we're choosing to do, that it isn't something that we have to do, which is very different. Very yeah, that different is approach. very different. Um, mm -hmm. And that whole, um, I want to say self-forgiveness piece for making mistakes, yeah. that can be a difficult portion uh, for, you know, looking back. Because I, I know that for me, I, I can ruminate about things and beat myself up about stuff that, you know, it's done. What's done is done. And, you know, yes. I, yeah, I, I screwed the pooch on that, but I'm, you know, I still beat myself up for it. Yeah. And, you know, you have to look at what we, you know, when we're doing that, again, we're really not, we're really not getting anything out of it. It's, it's really creating what I call a character assassination against ourselves. And, and, and we don't like it. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't really work. Right. So um, we get, have to get willing to try something different to say, okay, um, yeah, I did make a mistake in owning that with ourselves. Um, if there's another person to own it with, owning it with them. And then really asking ourselves, how does that inform our life going forward? 
what did we learn? There's, you know, my, in my experience, the only reason to go into the past is to get the learning and then get out of there. <laughs> you know, the mind, the mind wants to drag you. It's, it's, that's it's sort of untrained state is always in the future and always in the past. So if you spend, and, not, and you know, again, you can check it out with your own experience, but if you spend enough time in the past, you will start to experience regret and, and experience, you'll have an experience of regret. It's this really fascinating thing. If you spend a ton of time in the future, eventually you will start to experience anxiety. Mm-hmm. So it's just this sort of an interesting phenomenon that happens for us. And so, you know, going into the past, get the learnings. How does this inform my life going forward? And then choosing from there, I think, is the best that we can do. And that is a big practice in self-compassion. That is, that is great advice right there. That is awesome. Um, but Thank this, you. Well, <laughs> absolutely. Um, <laughs> And we'll be right back with that interview with Daphne. But now it's time for fun facts. Fun facts is where I share facts about humor, laughter, sometimes the absurd. But since we're talking about mindfulness, this week's tip is on mindfulness. And it is mindfulness improves our ability to focus and make decisions. A 2012 UCLA study has discovered that long-term meditators have larger amounts of gyrification, try to say that five times fast, or folding of the brain's cortex compared to people who don't meditate. Gyrification increases the surface area of the brain and enhances neural processing. This may imply that regular mindfulness practice can only lead to improvement in the way the brain processes information, makes decisions, forms memories, and so forth. So, you want to be smarter? Hey, be mindful. So, let's get back to Daphne. But something you said on there that I think was really, really um, key that I don't want to glean over is yeah. the whole uh, living too much in the future, that anxiety piece. Because yeah. worry, worry can be a bitch. I mean, I mean, because you're thinking of instead of being in the now, um, and yeah. really, you know, even whether you're at work or you're home, you're thinking about because uh, I'm a planner, right? And yes, I think that uh, looking forward ahead, you know, uh, two months, six months, a year, okay, I have these things going on, you know, and that's always suited me well. However. The flip side of that, it can also cause me to worry a little bit. Like, oh, what if this doesn't happen? What if that doesn't happen? You know, what if monkeys fly to my butt? You know what I mean? <laughs> you, you, yeah. know, you know what I'm saying? You have all these, yeah. like, all these, like, you know, scenarios that really are never really going to play out. Right, but, um, right. And, and that you worry about, um, you know, so it's, uh, it's almost like, you know, uh, a, a, a good and a bad where it's good to be for me it's good to be a planner and plan yes. ahead because it's been always suited me well for my success however it's always caused me a lot of anxiety on the worry portion how do you get past some of that well i think again cliff chip whatever your name is <laughs> call me cliff that is so funny cliff, for those, of you, are, for those of you are listening we had a discussion ahead of time about um just names. And, <laughs> Somebody uh, call you Charlie? Yeah. And that, that Daphne listened to the podcast ahead of time and she knew who I was. You know, she, she actually knew who I was and knew my name because I've had a few guests that have called me by my wrong name. So she did that. I had she to, she I had did that for it. fun. So I and, had to do it. Yeah. yeah. I had Cliff. to. Cliff. Um, well, you bring, Chuck, you Chuck. bring up a good point. Okay. So <laughs> what you're talking about is what you're talking about is, is making a distinction between, you know, planning is this is one of the reasons, you know, I think we have been given this a beautiful gift to think and to what they call prospect, right? Mm-hmm. Like they think we're pretty much, I mean, every time psychologists and scientists say this, they get proven wrong, but you know, they think we're the only species, if you will, on the planet that really has the ability to prospect, to really plan our future, 
right? Mm -hmm. We're not just driven by instinct. Okay, so that's great. So, you know, it's very helpful. It's like today, you know, it was helpful for me to know we were going to meet at a certain time and you sent me an invite and I know and I do some preparation, right? Like that's helpful. Mm -hmm. What you're talking about then is, and you used the word earlier, which was rumination. What you're talking about is where we're letting, we're letting the thought process take us. You know, we, I like to say this to people, it's like thoughts come and they go. We, you know, we think that our thoughts are bothering us, but really we bother them <laughs> because if we would just leave them alone, they would show up and then they would leave, you know? Right. Um, but they, these thoughts pop up like, you know, monkeys flying out of your butt. And then we, and which by the way, I just love that example. We get attached to it. And we start thinking about it. You know, what if these monkeys come and, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? What if I'm at the store? And, they, and that's when they show up and they start to fly out. And, oh my gosh, I'm like, can I explain this to my friends? And, you know, and, and then who am I, who, who can, where can I go? You know, should I wear bigger pants? I don't know how, you know. <laughs> I, like, really I, I, I really like how you yes ended that whole thing that you took you. it to. Yeah, that was beautiful. That was a beautiful, beautiful thing. I'm doing, but it's such a, it's such a great example because it sounds so ridiculous, but that's, yeah. take any thought and input it in there yeah. and then that's what we do right so i think we recognize like the brain is it's doing its best to keep us safe like it's just a prediction machine and it's mm -hmm. and it's trying to say okay this is you know i remember one time um i walked into my house i opened the door and my tv was gone along with my stereo and my computers <laughs> so my house wasn't as i had left it mm -hmm. and you know your brain when it, when i opened the door it expected right to see the house in a certain order, in a certain way. And when I opened the door, it wasn't that way. And immediately it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not how you left it. <laughs> this is bad. This is bad. And of course, my house had gotten broken into. Mm -hmm. So, you know, our brain is just trying, you know, what's going to happen is trying to keep us safe. But when those thoughts kind of start getting the best of us, we start latching onto them. That's when we start to experience a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Versus intentionally planning things, which is a good thing. Right. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So if I want to be a mindful leader, I mean, what are some like good practices for me? I mean, what are some things that I can like, just really just, this is, these are things I need to do to, you know, be more in the moment, be there for my team. Cause I find that like, like I always, always used to try to, you know, cut out time for my team to spend one-on-one -on -one time. But even when I had one-on-one -on -one time, there were still things that sometimes I might get preoccupied with and I wasn't really sure. there in the moment with that person, which I think would be a big portion of being a mindful leader of actually being in the moment when you have a moment. Yeah, it is. I mean, I would agree with you. And you know, there, there are very simple things when you do have that time face-to-face -face with people, you know, I mean, and I'm talking like really simple things, like don't pull your phone out. You know, like just look at, look at a person in the eye and talk to them and be as present as you can be in that moment. That's, that's a real gift um, in acknowledging people. In terms of practices to really work with, you know, sort of the natural propensity of the mind, which is to drag us into the future, or drag us into the past. Um, I am a huge fan of gratitude and, uh, and appreciation practices. Mm -hmm. And I did that for a year of my life. You know, there were five pennies in my right pocket and my goal every day was to fi have five appreciations and every time I appreciated someone or something, I moved a penny to the left pocket. <laughs> you know, wow. and the, you know it, was, it is really a practice because if, you, if we can understand how we're wired in a sense, like we are just prone to this negativity bias. We look for things that aren't going well and leaders do that pretty reliably. Like right. they don't need to worry themselves about not paying attention to the, to the monthly KPIs. You know, like that's naturally, you don't, you're going to look at that. Mm. Um, and you don't have to worry about paying attention to the things that aren't going well. You're naturally going to do that what we need to do is learn to shift our attention to, okay, what can I appreciate? 
you know, and it's, it's a real simple practice and it has major impacts on people and on the individual practicing it as well as the people around them um, because it creates a lot of positive emotion and positive emotion is what opens us and allows us to have a greater perspective. So it's kind of this broaden and build theory idea from Barbara Fredrickson. So it, I, that is one of the practices that I think people working on on a daily basis is really powerful. That is that, but that is fantastic. And uh, just because <laughs> it's well, simple, it, right? it's I so mean, simple. five pennies, five, yeah, five pennies. pennies, you just five move pennies. them over. That is great. Now. Yep. All right. So this is like uh, a big question for me. All right. So okay. you're talking to that person who you really want to be in the moment with, but they have that voice or that personality that you completely just drowned out. So after 10 <laughs> minutes, you've had a conversation <laughs> with them, right? You've had a conversation with them and you know, you've been shaking your head the whole time. Like you've been in the conversation, but really your mind has been on a beach in Barbados someplace. Yeah. So how do you, how do you like, and I don't know what it, I, I, this is not everybody. I just, there are a few people I can think of that as soon as they start talking, I am just completely someplace else. And I really, yeah. I, I, in my mind, I'm like, no, pay attention, chip, pay attention, chip. And then I'm like, <laughs> potato chip, potato chip. Oh, I love potato chips. <laughs> I can't wait to get home and go get a bag. You know, I should go exactly. get a bag right so, now. How do you, how do you, how do you pull yourself back into that conversation with that person that just like, you know, wow. yeah. Well, this is a big question. So, do you, do you um, pinch yourself? Do you have like electric shocks that every time you start to drink, you just lose a little negative help. reinforcement? <laughs> well, I'll come back. So, this is a big question. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna answer it in two ways. Okay. So, one is you know there can always be personality things that you know we have we can create an aversion uh, within ourselves around you know maybe a person's voice or you know whatever. Um, those are, I think, simple things for us to get around. Like we can recognize when we, you know, you're talking about judgment, right? Mm-hmm. That we have a judgment and we can own it and work past it and very simply shift ourselves like, okay, this is a human being over there who has his or her hopes, dreams, and aspirations and probably worthy of me to pay attention, right? Bring ourselves back. The other part though that I find that is more common is where something hasn't gone well in the relationship. And the person has withdrawn out of the relationship. The two people really aren't connecting. Mm -hmm. And that is what is creating the disconnection in the moment. So the only way to work with that is to really get complete is for if the person has what I call a withhold is to be willing to own that they have a withhold, that there's something that's been unexpressed and they've gone out of connection in the relationship. And by the way, I'm talking about work relationships, right? So it can be any relationship, but even at work, they've gone out of connection relationship and they've been holding on to something from the past that is not allowing them to stay present with the person, mm. like right then and there. So that's a much bigger practice um, I, you know, that I work with teams on because that happens pretty reliably. Something, you know, and it's not uncommon. I mean, this is just so common um, where someone will say to me, you know, I'm really having problems with so-and-so and, you know, we haven't been, you know, I just can't, you know, he, he's not, we don't have any trust in the relationship anymore and so on and so forth. And I said, well, when did this, when did all this start? How long do you work together? Oh, five or six years. When did this all start? Oh, three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they're telling me a story that's pretty rel- pretty recent. Right. But when I asked when the relationship, like, when did this, when did you start having problems? Oh, three years ago. And, you know, and here's where it gets really crazy. I mean, okay, are you ready? Because this is where it gets really crazy. Uh-huh. 95% of the time when I dig on those, it is usually some place where one of the parties has broken an agreement with the other party or they didn't have a clear agreement to begin with. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, they didn't get the person, and this sounds so crazy, they didn't get the person the report they needed on time, or they weren't clear about what was happening with a promotion, or they weren't clear about, you know, it, it's usually like these things that there just wasn't clarity be, to begin with. And then the person starts to make up a story about what was actually happening. Right. And it just morphs itself into this, you know, huge thing that goes on for three or four or five years. So, um, and they start making connections of stuff in their head that really aren't real connections of, you know, the, yes. the why, the why of what, whatever happens. Right. And then sub, right. subconsciously, then when they go to talk to the person, they negate um, whatever the person's saying. And then that's why I go to a beach in my head. That's right. So oh. that's you know, what I call withhold, withdraw, project. See, I and, just always thought because they were just super boring. I didn't really understand. <laughs> well, well, sometimes that could be the case, you know, I mean, you know, here's the thing. I, I don't say to people like, you have to love everybody right. um, you know, or rather like everybody. You don't. I mean, that would be sort of crazy making to say that. But you can definitely respect people and you can definitely, um, for your own sake, <laughs> save yourself. Um, right. For your own sake, you know, allowing yourself to be present really has a lot of gifts just for ourselves, which ripple out to the world. Too. What's funny when you were talking about, like, you know, they're talking about when did this start three years ago? And I started to think as like, man, they should have gone through couples counseling. Like, yeah. you know, they should, they should have couples counseling at work. Well, you know, <laughs> do you imagine your boss coming up to you like, well, we're going to send you and Paul to couples counseling. Yeah, that would be. <laughs> yeah, I can actually. I mean, they don't call it that, but that's what it is. You know, it's conflict on teams. I mean, it's, it's a big deal and it yeah. costs organizations a lot of money. I mean, that, oh, yeah. and I mean, you know, man hours and, and all the things that come along with that. Well, I had uh, a friend of mine, I uh, heard speak one time and she was talking about, um, you know, people at work that, uh, you know, people are messy. Organizations are full of people. Therefore organizations are messy places. Yeah. That, you know, you can have the best policies, best plans, best procedures, but because people are involved, That's you know, right. This stuff's going to get messy. That's just the way it is. Cause everybody's got, yep. you know, the agendas, everybody's got, you know, their conf, you know, things that they, you know, come to work with their issues. So, Absolutely. Um, you know, at uh, the, yep. the whole couples counseling thing. That's awesome. I love it. I, I that's, uh, that's great stuff. That. <laughs> <laughs> Daphne's you know, got I, the work couples counselor. The work, I, I, actually, that could, that might be the next thing. That might be my next iteration. It is funny when I work with teams, you know, they do, it's on more than one occasion, you know, I've gotten that comment, like, this is like therapy. I'm like, it is. <laughs> it's exactly like therapy. <laughs> because, because here's the thing, like, I, I don't know many leaders who wake up on Monday morning, they're like, I cannot wait to get to work and have the crappiest time with my coworkers. Oh my like no one's saying that, you know, they, right. they want to get up, they want to be effective, they want to do well in their jobs and, and you know, they want to have a good time doing it, hopefully. So, right. you know, if they're listening to this show, they want to, right? So, um, they want <laughs> so to- I want to go to work and deal with the most difficult people ever. Yeah, ever. Well, what's so, so funny is because like within our society, we do romanticize the whole leadership role. I mean, we're like, oh, oh when I get to be a leader, things are going to be so awesome. Oh, I'm going to yeah. have, uh, there's streets going to be lined with gold. I'm going to have- <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have eggplants for every meal. Um, <laughs> eggplants. I, I just threw that in there. I anyway, but uh, it, it, quite frankly, I mean, it can be a huge pain in the ass because, I mean, not only do you have your own crap you're dealing with, you got to deal with everybody else's crap every day. Oh, well, just like with your kids. Oh, he's touching me. He's on my side of the, he's on my side of the seat. Oh, the, you know, there's no fruit pies in the vending machine. <laughs> yeah. What, why are we eating this? Can't we have that? You know, and that honestly, that is one thing 
um, tip that I really do work with leaders on is not taking more than their 100% responsibility. Oh, yeah. Right. Not heroing things, not trying to fix everyone's problems. It's a big, it is a big deal because typically that's how they've gotten promoted to begin with. Well, it's a facet. I mean, I want to say it's almost a facet of servant leadership is that when you grow up, when you grow up and and you, you, you grow up a servant leader and you're used to serving your people and giving a hundred percent, giving a hundred percent, you can tend to take on too much that whenever somebody comes up with something, it's like, I've got this. All right, let me fix it for you. I I can fix it for you. All right. And then, you know, that doesn't do any anybody else any favors no you know because you know delegating develops you know letting people figure out their own problems it develops them I mean that you know if you're looking at you you can't nail yourself on the cross and be Jesus for everybody you cannot because it's you know you are not Jesus you can't save them all that's right and that you know that is a pattern that happens in leadership pretty reliably yeah and again you know, coming back to what you were mentioning earlier around, you know, how do people get this, this experience of integration in their life and get this experience where they can be home when they're home and at work when they're at work. And what you typically find is that leaders have gotten, gotten themselves, no one told them to do it that way, but they've gotten themselves stuck in that pattern of taking on too much responsibility. Yeah. Right, and thinking that they can save and thinking and really believing that they're supposed to do it that way. Um, so that is, that is an absolute recipe for um, significant unhappiness. <laughs> in leadership. And, and you know, the leaders that I know, like they, you know, they, there's one thing that I have found that really creates great leaders is that they love leading. They love managing people. That's what I tell people all the time is that, you know, there are all these things that you've got to get used to all the things that, like I said, that aren't the romantic side of leadership as far as like like, repeating yourself all the time, dealing with everybody else's problems. But if you have a heart, a heart for leadership and really wanting to make a difference for other people that that trumps everything else. Totally. Trumps all that other crap that you you have to deal with because, you know, you really love the difference you can make for other people. That's right. That's exactly it. Developing other people and teaching. And, you know, I think those are the parts that really, really can, when leaders can learn some of the specific skills they need to have mm-hmm. and they can get those on board, then that, that allows all of that to happen pretty seamlessly for them. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Well, well, I tell you what, Daphne Scott, this has been like the most fun. <laughs> this is the most fun I've ever had with my clothes on. This has been well, a this that means a lot to me. A, a, a fun conversation. I mean, and really, really insightful for me on, you know, being a mindful leader. I mean, great tips, great information. I really appreciate your time. Now, if after today, um, people want to connect with you, want to get themselves a little Daphne Scott, where do you want them to go? Yeah, they can check out uh, 3W's Daphne-Scott.com and there's a backslash or forward slash LHH Leadership Happy Hour. Well, so check that out. Yeah. Awesome sauce. I even like that better. Cool stuff. I like that better. Yeah, I do too. I do too. Chip, thanks so much for having me. It was Yeah, really, absolutely. Was we're not done because if we were really at a bar drinking, I give you some kind of drunk dare. But oh, since, oh since no. We're not. Okay. I'm just going to ask you a few random questions from my overstuff. Would you rather book? And they are random where I open the book oh, to gosh, is where I opened okay. up to. So okay. I will apologize in advance. Um, if okay. any of them are a little um, too bad. So are you, are you game, Daphne Scott? Oh, yeah. I'm All right. Game. First question of three. Daphne okay. Scott, would you rather for the rest of your life only to be, be able to make left turns or right turns? Right turns. Hmm. Why is that? So much more efficient. <laughs> I like, I'd like to, I'm, I'm glad that you have an answer for that. Cause I was like, why is that? So maybe you have an answer. So, so, I used to work for UPS way, 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 way back in the day. 
Yeah. And when they design their, their driver's routes, and I'm sure almost every, you know, um, logistics company does this, they avoid left turns as much as they can because they're slower and they're more dangerous actually. So you're more likely to get into an accident. So right turns, right turns. Interesting. Yeah. I'm going to be in a lot of trouble if I have to. I used to, I used to, I did my, I did a little time working for UPS loading trucks back in the day. So did I back in college. That is like hard work. I do not want to go back to do that ever again. Hard. Yeah. And then (laughs) I remember, I remember the guy that I worked for, he was such an ass. He'd be like, (laughs) really? Yeah. Because it's like, you know, you're, when you're first learning, you know, because everything's numeric, you know, as far as getting in the right place and it's not in the right place, the driver's got to look for it. And you make some mistakes. Right. And then the next day he's like, I had to look all over this package. Like I was doing the best I could. Sorry. Yeah. Um, You're like, sorry, buddy. I'm reading a label backwards. You do it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Second question. Would you rather Daphne Scott have to hitchhike with strangers to get anywhere or have to wear or use diapers and depend on strangers to change them. <laughs> I'm going to go with the hitchhike with strangers to get anywhere. Okay. I'm with you. That's cool. Yeah. I don't even have to ask why on that. Last question. Okay. Would you rather have to drink a cup of hot breaking bacon grease or someone else's spit? I'm going to go with someone else's spit. Okay. I'd say I'd I go know. with the bacon grease. Would yeah. you really? But you're going to have to deal with the burns, the burning, the burning chip. I mean, the, the just, skin peeling I'm, and the. Yeah. I'm sorry. Just the word bacon makes it okay. Well, that's true. just like I mean, today. Just like today, my brother called me. He's like, "What are you doing?" I said, "I'm making some fried cabbage." He's like, "I don't know if I'd really like that." I'm like, "Well, you know," I said, "I cook it in a little bacon grease and bacon." He goes, "Oh, what you're really talking about is bacon with a side of cabbage." I'm like, "Yes, that's, <laughs> what, I'm, yes. that's what I'm talking about." What. Well, <laughs> Bacon flavored cabbage. Exactly. Hey, well, thank you so much for spending a little time with me today. It has been uh, a lot of fun and a lot of great information. Well, Chip, it's my pleasure. And I want to thank you for having me on the Leadership Happy Hour. And uh, I had a blast. Thank you. So what'd you think? Daphne Scott, absolutely awesome. That's why I had to share it on this podcast as well. I mean, I originally recorded it for Leadership Happy Hour, but I thought I've got to I've got to air this everywhere. Daphne Scott, fantastic. I'm gonna encourage you to go to her website, check her out. Super smart, super fun person. Uh, just enjoyed that so much. I'm also gonna encourage you to go to AATH the website, um, AATH.org. Check us out. If you're not a member, be a member. If not, why not? Now is the time. Our conference next year is in the Big Easy, New Orleans. Plan it. Be there. So until next time, this is Chip Lutz saying, we'll keep the laugh on for you. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. LaughBox is made possible by a grant from the National Speakers Foundation and is brought to you by AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Find out more at aath.org. Be sure to review LaughBox on iTunes. For show notes and more information about today's conversation, visit laughbox.aath.org.